like Jesus. Each and every one of you look like Jesus. You're not going to look like Jesus. You didn't used to look like Jesus until last night. You look like Jesus. Each one of you. There is a profound placement of treasure in the body of Christ stored up in each of you. You're intentionally placed. Everything about the word of God indicates that you are intentionally placed within the body just as he desires. And he's placed giftings and anointings and those sorts of things in you as an incredible treasure. Each of you, each of you look like Jesus. So my name's Lee Johnson. This is my wife, Essie, right over here, praying furiously that I don't do something dangerous. <laughs> She's, uh, that prayer's never, ever been successful, by the way, but she does it anyway. <laughs> so she's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, so Zach and Rochelle are still out um, exploring the rest of God, what it is to rest in him. And uh, like Dr. Tony says, we're taking good care of the baby while they're gone, right? So that's our heart to do that. And I promise you, if you're watching right now, we are taking care of the baby. Hasn't eaten in like three or four days, but that's okay. You know, it's just like, it's a, it's a meal plan. It's a meal plan. So when Zach messaged me uh, some weeks ago and said that they were going to be gone and would I be willing to bring something having to do with the church is, and he said, community. I was like a pig in slop. Anybody who knows me knows that within about five minutes of meeting me, I guarantee you that you will hear something about culture or community. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's going to come up. And it's going to come up because it is something that's just become sewed into the very core of who I am over time. And that wasn't an easy process, and it's not because I did it well. It's because I have become incredibly convinced on a heart level that there is treasure stored up in the midst of how we interact with one another in the body of Christ. And that when it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that the fullness of Christ dwells in the church, that is something that we haven't even begun to plumb the depths of. That that treasure right there is something that is electric and powerful and life-changing, not just to us, but to an entire world that is desperately groaning for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. Amen? So I want to tell you just a little bit about my background. So I grew up um, in probably, arguably, the most churched background in the universe. My grandfather was a Methodist minister, um, and 
but he went to a Presbyterian seminary. And so I've been a United Methodist. There was not very much United about the Methodists, but I've been a United Methodist. I've been a Presbyterian. I um, eventually, my parents went to the altar a few times and became Baptists because um, that's what you need to do, like semi-annual kind of thing. You just go to, you know, and so uh, they, they did that until uh, they came in contact with one or two people and they got baptized with the Holy Spirit and we got the left foot of disfellowship from the uh, Baptist church. That didn't go well, strangely enough, um, in those days. <laughs> By the way, the body of Christ keeps moving and there's tongues starting to happen in the Baptist church right? There's just the move of the Spirit being. So, so my parents uh, became, were Baptists and then became uh, holy rollers. A little Pentecostal action started happening. And uh, th- then over the course of the years, they started a church with about three other families and called a pastor. And we built a, a big log church. Built, hand peeled the logs ourselves. Oh yeah, I grew up in Montana. Hand peeled the logs ourselves. I remember distinctly about 35 below zero, sitting on the, the, the rafters, big giant log like this, nailing, trying to nail the tongue and groove ceiling in from the top on top of these rafters and nailing my mitten <laughs> to the top of that thing, 35 below zero. And we had like these little plywood rooms, you know, that we had set up with heaters in there. You know, to, I just gave blood for Jesus. <laughs> so... Um, you know, came out of that whole process right there, and, and then I became an assembly of God, and then I got rescued from the assembly of God and became a four square, and then I got rescued back from the four square to the assemblies of God. And through the midst of that, I got to experience some really great theological experiences. So, one of those theological experiences was no makeup. That's, you know, a theological practice that works great for guys. It's easy. Real easy to do. There's no problem whatsoever. And uh, then head coverings. Head coverings. I was telling uh, Connie Esparza was in the earlier service. And uh, so hankies, we didn't have any, you know, cool retro hankies. They were just nasty. You know, but you had to have your head covered. So we had hankies. And then... Then from there, we went on into another move of the spirit. We're not sure which spirit. But we moved into another spirit, which was bondage, which is actually a lot like bondage, only it's more of a hairdo <laughs> kind of thing. All right? So, so I say all of that to just color between the lines because that's my experience of community in church over the last... I'm going to say 45 years, it started really young. And I'm only 30 years old, so it's really hard to fit all that in. Some years I did two years just to, just to do it. So I've had a lot of experience in community, but you can see pretty quickly that if I went around the room right here, which we don't have time to do, although I would love to do it just for gas, if I went around the room and asked you what your experience of community was in terms of the body of Christ, I'm guessing it would be wildly varied. And yet, You all look like Jesus. You all, each one of you, look like Jesus. If you disappear from this room, disappear from this body, 
there's a hole right there because the Lord has placed each one just as he desires, each part of the body, right? So you have role and there's treasure stored up for me and the people next to you and everyone else. This is this vibrant sort of tapestry in this room. Bible says in Ephesians chapter one, that the fullness of Christ dwells in the church. It's the end of chapter one, and I'm paraphrasing there. The fullness of Christ isn't something singular to you and I. No, it's resident in the body of Christ, right? Same God, one faith, one baptism, one God. But each of us have some other piece of the tapestry that each of the rest of us engage. So out of this, I began to realize over history that if there was going to be some realistic engagement with what it meant to have community, it could not be defined by the four walls of a church or a denominational structure. Instead, it was going to have to be defined by the people of God, the kingdom of heaven, engaging one another in relationship. And that out of that place could begin to be this framework of what it meant to be in community together. So when Zach originally reached out to me on this, I had about 10,000 things that I wanted to say. However, since there's only about 30 minutes here, um, it seemed like 10,000 was too many. So I thought about it for five minutes and I narrowed it down to three. And I didn't leave anything out. You know, it's just more succinct, right? John, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many of you were here last week when John spoke? I got messed up by that message. I was wrecked by that message and I tweeted something there that was so powerful that he said, the church is home. Home is safe. Because God is safe. The church is home. Home is safe. Because God is safe. So three things that go into a vibrant community in terms of the body of Christ. And at the risk, number one, at the risk of being sort of cliche in today's church. Identity. In my opinion, is the number one necessity. So this goes back to John. Well, it goes back way farther than John. He's a very young man. I mean, some of these theological principles are really old. But it goes back to that statement. The church is safe. Because God is safe. The Lord establishes the identity of the church by his character, which is salted throughout the church. And you all look like Jesus. Each one of you are a piece of the demonstration of the goodness and glory of God. In the back of your head right now, there was another little voice that said yes, and horrible this and terrible that and a failure here and something. No. That's performance, not identity. When that voice comes up, you go, Shh. get the, 
fill in the last word, whatever you want to. Right? Get out. Doesn't have any place. Doesn't have any place. So the Father establishes the identity of the church. The Father establishes the identity of the church, and that identity comes from him, what his character and nature is. So why do I say that identity is key to community? Because you're going to have to interact with one another, right? Just, and me. I'm so sorry for you. But you will. You will have to interact with me. You will have to interact with one another. And your identity will be key to that thing to be able to do that. Right? So if you have your Bible with you, run over to 1 Samuel. Or I will just read it to you. Whatever works for you. I have to take those off. Now I can't see you, but I can read this. Do you ever have one of those areas of your life where you're like, I refuse bifocals? <laughs> Who knew at 30 years old I would need bifocals? I didn't know. So let me, let me lay just a little bit of background right here. This is 1 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 15. And ahead of this, uh, Saul, this is right before Saul gets crowned king. And Saul is busy right now on, a, on an errand from his, his family. There's a few uh, donkeys, mules, etc. that have gone missing, and he's out looking for them with a couple of dudes. Somebody says to him, if you find the prophet, he'll tell you where these are, can really cut down on the amount of time that it's going to take. Helicopters were in short supply then, so it was much more difficult to find livestock in the open country, Right? Some of you are like, really? Helicopters were in short supply. That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So, set the stage then. Saul comes up and he runs into Samuel. And this is what it happens in verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. Now when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Now Saul, we know from other places here that he was head and shoulders, it says, above the other people in Israel. So he's like the tallest guy in Israel. He's like probably dark and handsome. He's on GQ. Got a little stubble going on. He's got the whole thing. He's, he's chiseled. Abs, some of us got a pony keg. So he is the specimen of what you would expect a king to be. This is what's on the outside of him. He's a good-looking guy at this point. So he shows up, and he approaches Samuel in the gateway, and he says, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? Seer is somebody who sees. Exactly. This is what Saul is looking for. He needs somebody to help him find livestock right now. He is thinking on an entirely different plane than what's about to happen to him. All right? He is looking for donkeys. Right? That's it. All right? So 
Samuel says to him, he says, I am the seer. Samuel replied, go up ahead of me to the high place for today you are to eat with me and in the morning I will send you on your way and I will tell you all that is in your heart. Salah. I put the Salah in because right now you need to think about what that lunch date would look like. Let's have a little in and out. Sit with Samuel the prophet. And by the way, I'm going to tell you all that is in your heart. He's about to get Sean Boltzed. Right? Right? So here he goes. I'm going to tell you all that's in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about them. They've been found. You ever have one of those things, those identity things that hangs over you, and in an instant, God goes, and drops the sword and cuts that thing away. They were found three days ago. That's yesterday's news. Forget about donkeys. You notice that Samuel never again addresses that. Saul, however, is still stuck in livestock land. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about them. They've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Okay, so that's a, that's a pretty crazy statement. And what it means in this simple thing is that all of history, all of Israel, all of the future of your nation is focused right now on you and on your family. All of it. You are the focal point of what God is doing right now. Now, I, I can tell you with some level of authority that no one has ever said that to me. <laughs> right? They've said a couple of other things that are very different than that. But they've never said anything like that about me. And maybe not about any of the rest of you either. Any of you ever said that, you know, found out that all of the U.S. and the focus of America is focused on you. Okay, so we're, we're together on that then. No one's ever said that, right? So this place, Saul is looking for donkeys, and he comes into this place where Samuel says, you are the single pivot factor for where this nation is going next. He's about to be called to be king. And so, if we go through the next couple of chapters, we see that over in chapter 10, now we've, we've come through this whole process at the beginning here, and Samuel's about ready to choose the king, to actually coronate Saul as king, crown him king. And so they go through the whole process, and they're selecting through the, through the, and it's getting down, they're drawing lots, they're doing the thing, and it's the big tribes, and then it's the lesser tribes, and then it starts working its way down to the family, to the family, to the family, and they get all the way down to the bottom, and Saul's not there. He's missing. And the Lord speaks to Samuel, and he says, he's hiding in the luggage. He's in the coat room. Saul was called to be in leadership. He was called to be king. And he was hidden in the midst of the resource. He was hidden in the midst of the resource and did not make himself available to the identity that God had established for him. He did not make himself available to that. If we go forward in history with Saul, we see the results of that pop up over and over and over again. Because he did not grab a hold of the identity, he grabbed a hold of the job eventually, 
because the job grabbed him. But he'd never grabbed the identity of being the king. He eventually loses the kingdom because he needs something from the children of Israel and the fighting men. He ends up offering a sacrifice that Samuel had said, wait, wait till I get there. And Samuel was delayed. And Saul offers the sacrifice. And the reason is the important thing. Actually, I don't know that the offering of the sacrifice meant that much at all. But the reason that he did it was because the people were scattering from me and I needed to hold them together. He needed the validation of the children of Israel and the fighting men in order to go forward. It was inconceivable to him that he could come back from, he didn't understand who he was, so it was inconceivable to him that if the people scattered that they would come back at that point. Here's one of the reasons why identity is so incredibly important. If your identity is not established by the architect, then you are the only one that can protect it. If your identity is not established by the word of the Lord over your life, in the word of God, and agreed upon by voices that agree with heaven in the context of the body. If it's not established there, then you will always need to have it established out there. You will spend your whole life, you will spend your whole life as the guardian of your identity. It will predetermine your steps. And your world will be small because it will be limited by what can be protected by you. Rather than being limitless because the God who protects you sets you free in any environment to do anything because you are safe at home, like John said. So the first thing to operate in community with one another is to establish our identity based on who the Father is. And you all look like Jesus. You want to know what your identity is? Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels and see how Jesus walked. That's who you are. Now, that doesn't mean you, don't, that you have perfect behavior right now, okay? We obviously don't. I personally don't anyway. I don't know about, some of you are probably perfect. But we have the mind of Christ, right? Our identity is established in Christ. That's the anchor stone. The second thing that comes out of that is identity empowers vulnerability. So what's your name? So Brian and I are going to meet, let's say. So Brian's a dude. I mean, you know, he's a dude. So Brian and I meet for the first time, and I say, hey, Brian, I'm Lee. And he says, 
Yeah, see, and he says, he says, no, you're not, you're Brian. <laughs> no. Okay, so Brian, now, now we've done, we're two dudes. We are like 75% of the way to a deep relationship now. Right? We know each other's name. That's, that's intimacy on a level that we're just not comfortable with. Right? So the next part of our conversation, because we're dudes, is I say, Brian, what do you do? And Brian says to me at some point, what do you do? And we trade that off. Now we are like 97% of the way into deep connection because we know what each other does. Right? Now I'm totally joking about that. Not everybody's like that. I'm an uncomfortable man. I like very deep relationships. You might have guessed. I like something that plunges a little bit past that point. The problem is, if I enter into relationship with Brian and my identity is not established, I cannot be vulnerable to Brian. Too big a risk. I don't know Brian. I don't know what's in his life. What if he responds to me poorly? What if Brian sins? I mean, that's one of the battles of Christianity. Really? I mean, you know, let's just be honest in this room. One of the real battles of Christianity is that we have to interact with other people that have not achieved the level of maturity and depth that we have. Right? They have not arrived at the theological excellence that we have vibrant and functional in our lives. Some of you are looking at me right now like, is he serious about this right now? No, I'm not serious about that. None of us. We're all imperfect, right? We're all incredibly perfect. Some of you just breathed out. You know, you'd like been sucked so much breath in right there that it was hard to breathe for me up here. So, right? But we, we, we don't, we're, we have to deal in relationship. And here's the thing we know. We know that it's not safe out there. But if we go, if I come to Brian here and I need something from Brian in terms of my identity, I am preloading our relationship. And if he fails to deliver, that just confirms what I already know, that I'm better off to protect and I will live behind the veil. And in true community in the body of Christ, hop over into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's just take a look at that for a second. And we're just going to put some feet to this really quickly. Thank goodness I only have one page of notes. Otherwise, it would be three hours instead of two. There is a 1 Corinthians in my Bible, I promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 12. This is the NIV. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. Sometimes we wish that parts would stop. I'm just going to move on. Um, 
It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, Think for a minute of your body and put a little divider between every part of your body so that you can't really touch. You can see, those parts can see each other, but they can't really touch. How's that going to work? No movement, no communication, no cohesiveness, no unity and diversity. Right? You know that's where we get the word university? Two words, unity and diversity, that come together. We, we, we have one spot where we see diversity come together. So we don't see any unity in the body if there's division amongst the parts. And the only way for there to not be division is for there to be vulnerability. And there can be no vulnerability without identity rooted in the architect. It can't happen because we will preload our relationships and destined them for failure. Because we are imperfect people. And that is the beauty. That is the absolute beauty of being in relationship with one another. So, the third thing that's pivotal to community in the church is relational strength. I... Uh, and I'm, I want to say this carefully. I'm going to qualify it pretty carefully. And I didn't do really great in the first couple of services with this. And Chris and I were talking about this ahead of time. So I want, to be, I want to be real clear about what I'm about to say. There is something going on on Facebook and Instagram right now. And it actually is greater amongst, maybe greater amongst, and it could be that I'm skewed because I have a whole lot of Christian friends on my, but I have a lot of non-Christian friends too. I work in the marketplace, not in church. Come on. Come on, Dr. Tony. So there is a thing on social media right now, and trust me, it's not a slam on social media. It's just I use it too. But there's a thing on social media, and it looks like this. It might be in this form, but it's in a thousand different ways to say this. Surround yourself with people who can recognize your value, who see your dreams and support you in them, who understand your fabulousness. <laughs> who recognize the beauty of your thought process and support you fully in it. Now I've just mashed together like 7,000 Christian memes. <laughs> the problem with that is that it's not a scriptural stand, stance. Now, some of you are like, who've, who've had whole problems with boundaries in your life, <laughs> that kind of thing. You're like this. That's it. He's behind the veil now. <laughs> right? But, but let, me, let me just say this to you. That whole statement is predicated on the idea that your identity 
and what you're called to and who you're called to is dependent on the people that you hang around for validation. Right? Now, in the context of the body of Christ, we're not looking for a bunch of people who tell us yes. Chris and I were talking about this ahead of time here. Look, there's, and let me just say this to you, that there are places in your life where you need to put up boundaries. If you have dangerous people around you, you want to make your life a safe place for them to come home to. You don't want to go to the country where they are and live there. You can go there to minister. But you live here and you invite them into the depth of relationship with God that you've got where you are. Right? I don't invite them. I I don't go, well, you know what? I mean, you know, this heroin thing, it's not that bad. I'm just going to, do you mind if I move in? I'll just sit over here, you know, and look, weep with those who weep, struggle. I, I, I want to be balanced about this because it's a, it, it can be someplace that's really down. There is a place for limitations, but you know where those limitations are established? In relationship within the community of God. So if you have a relationship that's difficult for you, Graham Cook calls them grace growers, If you have a relationship that's difficult for you in community, find some vibrant relationships within the body, leadership-wise, not because otherwise it becomes gossip. Find some vibrant relationships. I'm saying this as a papa. Find some vibrant relationships and say, this is my struggle. What do I do? What do you guys think? How do I approach this? Get some godly counsel. Get some godly counsel. And default to relational strength. Set up boundaries that allow you to create a safe place for somebody to come home to. Right? Doesn't mean that you have to hang out with somebody that's stabbing you in the head. That's a bad idea, by the way. But there is a place where We surround ourselves with people that only affirm us. And you can be affirmed to death. Amen? Anybody ever get in a group of people that just, you're fabulous no matter what. I've had some really horrible things that I've done in my life. Thankfully, I've had some good men in my life over time. I've veiled myself eventually. Not early. Eventually, I availed myself of some good men in my life who loved me extraordinarily and were super unimpressed. Right? I could speak well. I could do funny things. But they said, we're just going to call on that. Yeah. Somebody said it over here. My wife. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to call BS on that. Right? On that behavior. And why? Why did they do that? Because identity is established and preserved in the midst of community. Right? And in, in the design of God, 
in community, we all know to a lesser or greater extent what the, what the word of God says about who each other is. I know what, in, in, in a vibrant, connected community, I know what the words the Lord has spoken over you. If there's prophetic words over your life and we're in relationship, I know what those words are. I tell you what, I've heard some words over John over time. I guarantee you, if he starts taking a right turn off of those things, accountability is not me keeping him from sinning. Nor is it for John to keep Lee from sinning. It isn't. Accountability means that I say, that isn't who you are. I was there. I listened to what God said. I read what the book said about you. I know what your dad said about you. I know what I've said about you. What the Lord said to me about you because I was praying about you. And I will remind you of that. That's accountability. And he goes, oh. And he snaps back into his identity and begins to flourish. That's accountability. And that's community. A number of years ago, Essie and I were at a conference with uh, Heidi Baker. And Heidi said something that was so extraordinary. It's galvanized our lives to some extent on and off ever since. And she said... Love looks like something. Love looks like something. It actually looks like something. It's not an idea, right? If we love one another, it looks like something. And community looks like something. So as we close here... Um, I want to do something just a little bit differently. If, you, if the prayer team wants to come up, normally at this point, we would just invite you to come up for prayer. And if you need prayer for something, this is not precluding that. You come up and get prayer. Do, do what you need to do. But what I want the prayer team to do is to be prepared to prophesy over you. To release something from heaven over you. See, because there is a dangerous level of radical relationship in the community of the kingdom of heaven. And there is treasure beyond your wildest dreams stored up there. It is my suspicion that the Holy Spirit never stops inviting us deeper into relationship with one another. I don't know about you. I'm not perfect at this. I don't always do relationship well. It's one of my passions, and I find myself tripping and falling in that area just like anybody else does. I know that I can hear the Father. And every time I hear his voice, he says, give it another shot. Go again. Go again. This time's going to be better. You're not the same as the last time. This time's going to be better.
I'm here. I'm ready to pour something out that's bigger than you've imagined. I'm ready to tear down walls that you thought were fixed in stone. I'm ready to remove fear and doubt and unbelief. And I'm ready to pour out treasure over you that you haven't even begun to conceive of. So as we close here, if you feel like God is calling you up, might be inviting you into a deeper level of relationship in community with the believers that are around you, then I'm going to invite you to come up with the prayer team and let them prophesy that over you. Let them prophesy to the relationships that are in your life, that are vibrant and a part of the community that you belong to. Come with expectation. I tell you what, you are engaging, you're about to engage an extraordinary God. He is not an idea. He's not, he's not a lifestyle. This isn't a lifestyle. It's a relationship. And there is something extraordinarily powerful about that. And his intent for you, his kind intention over you, is to blow the lid off of everything that holds you back and to do it in the context of this body. I believe that we're coming into a place in this body where the goodness of God is going to be poured out between friends, between families, between parents and children, brothers, sisters, the people of God. It's going to be poured out in a way that is so extraordinary that when the Bible says that the whole earth is yearning for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. This is what it's talking about. There's going to be a sound like a symphony that comes out of this building and not because we have microphones and electric instruments, but because hearts will be thundering in the spirit. Thundering. That sound that sound is not the sound of this. It is a work of the cross. It's a work of the cross. The work is done. Your only part is one word. Yes. That's the only part. You get to say yes or no. Say yes. It's way better. Way better. He's not going to take away your birthday if you do. I promise. You don't have to go to Africa in a grass hut. I thought that was what it was when I was a kid. So, Lord, we just ask for you, Holy Spirit. Sir, we invite you. 
to rest over us heavily, to transform our hearts and our minds and our lives, to stretch us, stretch us. We invite you to remind us of your goodness. We invite you to call us up into something we haven't even conceived of yet. Give us dancing shoes so that we can dance the dance with you. Gather us up into the midst of the love expressed in you every day. Call us into that. Jesus' name, amen.